From Odyssey, I'm Lauren Berry, and this is the On Deadline podcast, where we bring you analysis of the top story out of our radio newsrooms across the country. On Deadline this week is the war between Israel and Hamas, and how its impacts are being felt at home in the United States. Hamas shocked the world when it unleashed a coordinated terrorism attack against Israel, spurring a new war. At least 1,400 people, mostly civilians, were killed by Hamas in the initial assault. Nearly 200 people taken hostage by Hamas are believed to be held in Gaza, where Hamas operates a network of tunnels and safe houses. Israel responded to these attacks with barricades and airstrikes in which six Hamas leaders have been killed so far, according to the Israeli military. While the Biden administration tries to head off a wider conflict, there is one thing we already know. Whether the U.S. ends up being forced to send military support or not, this battle has hit home for Americans already. Odyssey in New York talked to Staff Sergeant Noy Labee, an Upper East Side resident who is now on the front lines in Israel. He's one of 300,000 Israeli reservist soldiers around the world called in for active duty. We thank you so much for being here. Where were you when you heard about the attacks and what was your reaction? I uh, was I came home from dinner, it was 11.30 p.m. and I heard about the horrors that were happening, the the kidnappings, the torture, the, the killing, and I was just in shock. So uh, the first thing I did was look for a flight because I knew that this wasn't an operation. It was going to be a, a full-fledged out war. Um, and within uh, within the, that evening, that same day, I was on the flight back to Israel. And you knew some of your friends were going back too, correct? My friends, my my two brothers were already on base within eight hours of this the start of this war. And uh, when I arrived to Israel a day later, I joined my other. Wow. And... Just a week ago, you had been in Israel celebrating the birth of your nephew. Is that right? Yeah, I was in Israel uh, about uh, two two weeks ago, came home to New York and came back to fight the war. So tell us now, I, I've been reading that you've started kind of a network of other people who are are going over to join the war effort. Yeah, there's there's a lot of Israelis stuck outside of Israel who are trying to come back and fight. But as you can imagine, all airlines have canceled their flights to Israel besides El Al, and they only have so many flights a day. So I started a group which currently has over 600 uh, members in it, and we've been helping people with flights, with funding, uh, and getting back home to, to join us in the war. This is uh, so important to you, of course. You've been quoted as saying that you felt joining the IDF was the best decision you ever made. Tell us why. Look, the the Army was the best university I ever went to. I learned a lot. I matured quickly. I learned how to think. I learned how to work under pressure. And I was in many situations that the average 18-year-old wasn't. The average 18-year-old in America and Canada, all around the world, they go to school and they're, you know, focusing on different things. But in the Army, we deal with real life and death situations which prepare us for the the nightmare that we're in right now. Prepared, and yet, did you ever think you would actually have to go fight in a war? I mean, that's what we that's what we sign up for. Uh, you look at the history of, of Israel. There's been a war on average every five years, so you know that eventually you're going to go in. And throughout my time in the military and the reserve duty, we've we've um, you know engaged with uh, terrorists and. Um, this is something different because right now we are dealing with, you know, inhumane 
savage. I don't even want to call them people. You've seen the videos. You've seen the the rape, the torture, the kidnapping. You've seen these horrible visuals that that are worse than ISIS that I personally and my other combatants don't want to deal with. But that's what we're here to do, and we're not leaving until uh, Hamas will be eliminated. Is that to say you are preparing yourself mentally for a long war? Of course. Um, look, I heard, I saw a video today where parents, Israeli parents are happy that their missing kids are, they found out that they're dead because they know that the torture is so bad. So mentally prepared, physically prepared. Again, it's not something that I want to do necessarily, but it's something that me and my other fellow combatants have to do. Around the U.S., people are facing the repercussions of the Israel-Hamas war. The family of a Chicago-area mother and daughter believed to be held captive by Hamas received a virtual visit from Joe Biden this week. While security has been tightened at synagogues and religious schools in major cities, including Chicago, Detroit, Dallas, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York, even those with safeguards in place have seen hate crimes considered to be the work of lone wolves. Outside of Chicago, a 71-year-old landlord allegedly stabbed a six-year-old Muslim boy to death this week. He shouted, you Muslims must die. In other incidents, a teenager was beaten for wearing a turban on a Queens, New York bus. We don't wear that in this country, the attacker said. An Israeli student at Columbia University was beaten with a stick outside the school's library. A group of men waving an Israeli flag allegedly attacked a Palestinian man on a Bay Ridge street in Brooklyn, while two teens are accused of firing imitation guns outside a synagogue in Gravesend, Brooklyn. Anti-Semitic graffiti was discovered in a St. Louis park. David Viola, adjunct professor at the Center on Terrorism at John Jay College, joined Odyssey in New York to discuss measures being undertaken to keep violence at bay. David, thank you very much for being here. I understand you have also lived in Israel and Syria and worked alongside the NYPD. Is that, to your mind, the biggest potential threat here in the city, some sort of a lone wolf attack? Yeah, like the mayor has said, uh, I think that online radicalization and individuals who take this call are perhaps the largest threat that we're looking at right now. And I know that NYPD and uh, the FBI's New York City Joint Terrorism Task Force are going to be surging uh, considerably to protect uh, potential targets within the Jewish community, but it's really hard to protect against every little, every single individual that might be that might have this call to action. So that is definitely a, a target to be. That is definitely a threat to be focusing on right now. So, what do they do at the NYPD, say in the intel or counterterrorism departments? Are they are they scouring any suspect online posts? So they'll be doing both. They will be physically hardening sites like JCCs, Jewish community centers, uh, like synagogues, other potential targets in communities with uh, with considerable Jewish populations like Williamsburg and Brooklyn and Midwood and the Upper West Side. They'll be doing that that part that you can see, that physical hardening. They'll also be surging resources to the analysis teams that are focusing on what has in the last several years been a, a mushrooming threat of anti-Semitic terrorism. So you'll see that one piece, you know, more cops and more federal agents 
in front of synagogues, more uh, more actual physical hardening. What you won't see is that part behind the scenes, the analysis of individuals really scouring online, trying to track down anyone who might be talking about uh, actual plans rather than just, uh, you know, bombastic talk online. The mayor also had a message just for the average New Yorker. Uh, essentially, get your face out of your phone. Uh, take a look at your surroundings. Why, David, is that so important? Oh, I think without being alarmist, there are a lot of things that the average New Yorker can notice. There are, you know, what, eight, nine million pairs of eyeballs out there. And uh, those are our, our greatest asset, frankly, in the intelligence community is just people noticing things. You know, if you notice without being, again, without being alarmist, without right. the extremes that we went to in the post 9-11 world, but just noticing things, if there's, again, these are just, uh, you know, cliches almost, but if there's somebody, you know, looking very nervous, carrying a really big package into a synagogue, you know, somebody might want to notice that and tell a security guard is standing out front. I, I think that we want to be careful about not doing that to the point where we go over the lines that that we've established for ourselves, you know, as terrorism has become part of our sort of everyday existence in the, in the last 20 something years. But yeah, like the average New Yorker and the average individual who might see something is, is really important as they always are. Over in Israel, there is considerable focus on the rescue of hostages and the possibility of a ground war in Gaza, and fears that fighting could escalate and spread throughout the region. Retired Air Force Colonel and military analyst Cedric Layton joined Odyssey to discuss how a ground invasion might unfold. Colonel, will we know when the ground war is about to happen? What signs might we see? Well, we're beginning to see some signs right now. And uh, what I mean by that is we have a bunch of uh, positions, artillery positions, howitzers being fired into Gaza, particularly in the northern area of Gaza. Uh, the other thing that we're seeing is airstrikes. Uh, airstrikes are often used to, to soften up an area to make it more usable for ground troops to come in. Uh, so these are telltale signs that a ground incursion is possible. It doesn't mean it's 100% going to happen, but we're getting closer and closer to that 100% mark. And once we get to that point where they actually cross the border, uh, that's when we'll know, uh, especially if they cross the border en masse from Israel into Gaza, then we'll know that a ground incursion is actually underway. How large a ground incursion are we expecting? We know that the Israelis have called up some 360,000 reservists. Yeah, that's a very large number of reservists, especially in proportion to the total size of the Israeli armed forces. So not all of them are going to go into Gaza, but it could be a fairly large ground incursion. So of the troops that are actually going to enter Gaza, they may start with something like 10 to 20,000 if it does happen, uh, and then increase the number as they feel the need to do that. Uh, the other thing we have to consider, though, and that might mitigate what I just said, is the fact that there are the hostages and the Israelis will want to do something about the hostages. They'll want to release them, have them released or free them. And that, of course, requires a different set of circumstances, a different way of, of actually doing uh, these operations that's uh, you know far more uh, surgical, if you will, than you would see with a massive ground incursion. Right. So they've got those choices that they have to make. 
Right, because they threatened to kill the hostages. Do they know where the hostages are? I've been seeing headlines that the IDF says that the hostages are underground. This is meant literally. Yes, it is, uh, because Gaza is full of tunnels, and those tunnels don't just go underneath the border like we've seen you know, in, in years past. Uh, there are tunnels throughout uh, the city of Gaza and other urban areas within Gaza, and even in some of the rural areas. So Hamas has a big network of tunnels, and it is logical that they would put at least some of the hostages in tunnels. Uh, but that doesn't mean that all of them are there, and uh, whether or not Israel knows in real time exactly where the hostages are, uh, that is, is something that uh, you know is maybe partial, partly true, uh, but it may not be completely true. In other words, they may not know where all of the hostages are at any given one time. Right. Uh, Colonel, how could anyone go underground into a tunnel to rescue hostages? Well, you'd have to know where the tunnel is, what the entry points are, and you'd have to know also, you know, what kind of a uh, system, you know, like an air system there is in the tunnel. If there is a, you know, a different type of air supply or anything like that, you'd also have to know something about the geography of how far the tunnel extended, what it's made up of, you know, what are the, what's the wall? Is it, you know, is it a solid rock? Is it, uh, you know, a softer material? Those are the kinds of things that you'd have to be looking at. Uh, so it's a very difficult process. It's a very intelligence intensive process. Uh, to find all this out. In some cases, the Israelis will know that because of their previous experiences in Gaza. But in other cases, Hamas may have built new structures, new additions to existing tunnels or other structures. And it's uh, going to be a, a real work effort that has to take place on the part of the intelligence folks, as well as the special operators of the various special operations branches within the Israeli military. A humanitarian crisis is already unfolding in Gaza, which is home to two million people. Hundreds of Americans are reportedly among those trapped there, and NBC News reported that Gaza is almost out of food, fuel, and medical supplies. There hasn't been electricity in days, and its largest hospital, Al-Shifa, is now a shelter for around 35,000 people. Western diplomats are pushing to allow emergency aid into Gaza, and for foreigners to be able to safely exit to Egypt. Amid that request, an airstrike hit a convoy of people on a road that was supposed to provide safe passage from Gaza. Among the dead were children. Ambulances were also struck. Biden, in a message posted to social media, said, We must not lose sight of the fact that the overwhelming majority of Palestinians had nothing to do with Hamas's appalling attacks and are suffering as a result of them. The United States has sent two aircraft carrier groups to the eastern Mediterranean, plus warships and attack planes. A U.S. official briefed on the situation told Reuters the goal is to stop this from becoming a regional battle. Biden has warned Iran not to escalate the conflict. Still, Iran's foreign minister warned Israel that, quote, if they do not cease their atrocities in Gaza, Iran can simply not remain an observer. If the scope of the war expands, significant damages will also be inflicted upon America, he warned. This show is produced by Joe Heady, Christy Strauser, Myron Kaplan, and Bill Smee. 
I'm Lauren Barry, and I want to say thanks for listening to On Deadline, Odyssey's serving of a top news story just for you. Subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts to stay informed. Thank you.